Well, good morning again, once again. My name is John. If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, I serve Mission Church as one of the pastors. I'm excited to be with you this morning. If you have a Bible, please grab it. If you don't have one, we do have some out on the, the bookshelf out front. And we also have some of the CSB Matthew Scripture journals available for everybody. Um, feel free to grab one of those. They're out on the table. You can uh, write notes and all kinds of stuff in it. They're a gift to you. Feel free to grab one at any point. But uh, grab a Bible, grab one of the Scripture journals, open to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to finish chapter 4 this morning in verses 18 through 25. We're continuing our journey, as we have been the last several weeks, through the Gospel according to Matthew, a journey that we've entitled the King and His Kingdom. And this morning, what we're going to find in our text is an invitation from the King. An invitation from the King. Now, when you're there, Matthew chapter 4 Verse 18, I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word if you're able to. Hear the Word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 25. As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Then the news about him spread throughout Syria. So they brought to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains, the demon-possessed, the epileptics, and the paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. This is the word of the Lord. May these words be written on our hearts this morning. Let's, let's pray and then we'll jump in. God, I thank you for your word. I pray, God, that you would soften our hearts, that you would place these words on our hearts and um, Lord that we would grow in a greater understanding of who you are that we would grow in uh, an understanding of who you called us to be as your followers I pray Lord this morning for those who do not have faith that you would give them the gift of faith I pray Lord that you would replace hearts of stone with hearts of flesh or that you would draw in those who belong to you Lord that you would equip us that you would give us hope and a sense of peace at, a, at an understanding of the gospel that we would draw closer and closer to you in our love for you and our desire to be on mission for you. I pray, Lord, that as I preach this morning, the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart would be pleasing and acceptable before you, God. You are our rock and our redeemer. We, we love you and we trust you and we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Picture with me, if you would, a dangerous coastline that's notorious for shipwrecks. In response to this need, a a humble life-saving station was established on the coast. It was a simple hut with one boat, manned by a devoted crew who kept an unwavering watch over this tumultuous sea. These selfless individuals would venture out day or night tirelessly searching for anyone in need of rescue. Their heroic efforts saved countless lives. 
and soon their station began to gain a reputation for its noble work. As time passed, some of those who were saved and others from the surrounding area were inspired by the cause and joined in with them. They generously contributed their time and their resources to support the station. New boats were acquired and more crews were trained and the station expanded. Growth had come and with growth comes change. Some members began to feel that the modest building needed upgrades. So they replaced the emergency cots with hospital beds and upgraded the furnishings. The station gradually transformed into a comfortable gathering place for members to discuss their work and to socialize. Renovations continued and the station began to resemble less of a life-saving outpost and more of a social club and fewer members were interested in venturing out on dangerous life-saving missions, so they hired out professionals to handle all the rescues. Despite the shift, the emblem stayed the same and the stationery still bore the insignia of a life-saving outpost. There was even a ceremonial lifeboat that was displayed during club initiations. Then one fateful day, a massive shipwreck occurred off the coast, and the hired crews began to bring in the cold and the battered and the sick survivors. But the beautiful club was being turned into a mess, and so in response, they quickly built a shower outside to clean up the shipwreck victims before they could enter into the club's pristine interior. During the next club meeting, a division emerged amongst the members. Most wanted to cease all life-saving activities. They felt that the victims were unpleasant and disruptive to their social gatherings. A small group fought back and insisted that life-saving was their primary mission. They reminded everyone that the club, in essence, was a life-saving station. But sadly, the life-saving advocates were outvoted and they were told to establish their own life-saving output down the coast if they wanted to continue this mission. As years passed, the station experienced the same fate as the first one. It too became a club. The urgency of life-saving faded. The few remaining dedicated members decided to, to start yet another station, but the pattern repeated itself over and over. Today, if you visit this dangerous coastline, you'll find several exclusive clubs along this Sure, and you'll also hear about all the tragic shipwrecks and the many people who continue to drown. Friends, this illustration is a story and a picture of the history of the church. This is unfortunate, especially considering how the work of fishing men and women out of the sea of sin is the great work that God has called us to. The work of rescuing people from the crashing waves of death is the great work that God has called us to the church too. In fact, rescuing men and women from sin is God's great concern. So much so that God sent His Son to a sin-stained earth to live, to preach, to die, and to be raised from the death for the very purpose of saving His people from sin and death. In fact, the Father so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes will not die but will be given life. Jesus Himself says that He came to seek and to save the lost. 
And the Holy Spirit, He washes and renews those who believe. You see, the whole Trinity, the entire Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit is at work in the ministry of saving mankind from sin. And as a result, evangelism is the great concern of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. However, many today respond to Jesus in a casual way, nonchalant way. Many claim to know God and to be following Him, but not only do their lives fail to reflect that of Christ, but they're heading in a direction that Jesus is not leading. Is it possible to know God and yet show no proof that you belong to Him? Or becoming like Him? Is it possible to follow Jesus without going where He tells you? Is it possible for us to be Christians without buying into the mission of Christ? Well, our text this morning not only provides answers to these questions, but it clearly and simply lays out for us that in light of who Jesus is, we should wonder at the One who has invited us to join Him on a world-changing mission and feel the weight of His command that He's given us. Follow Me. So much so that we renounce everything for His glory, joyfully depend on His grace, and live with urgent obedience to His mission. The greatest and most profound invitation that you'll ever receive consists of two simple words. Follow Me. A simple invitation. A clear invitation. Yet despite the uncomplicated nature of Christ's command, these two simple words have been misunderstood greatly. Misapplied for centuries. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? Let's pursue our understanding of the text this morning and our understanding of this king's invitations by studying it in three parts. One, the king. Two, the invitation. And three, the promise. The king, the invitation, and the promise. Before we begin, let's look back at our text. Verse 18-22 through specifically. As he, Jesus, was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two more brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing the nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. I've read and studied this text for years. And every time I've read it, I'm blown away by this remarkable scene. Jesus, God in the flesh, He calls His first disciples. And He chooses not the religious or intellectually elite, but rather He chooses a few hardworking blue-collar fishermen. And at the sound of, of Christ's invitation, these guys immediately leave their livelihood and walk away from an identity that's been passed down from generations as fishermen. And in the case of James and John, not only do they leave their, their livelihood, but they leave their family. They leave their dad in the boat, and he's left there wondering what in the world just happened. Now, read in isolation, Matthew chapter 4, this call of Peter, Andrew, James, and John seems abrupt. As if Jesus spots four random fishermen and calls them to follow Him without any logic or, or, or preparation, but that's not at all what happens in our text. This is not what's taking place. You see, if we were to compare our text with the other Gospel narratives, we would see that a, approximately a year and a half has passed since 
last Sunday we were together and today. A year and a half or so has passed since John has been arrested and Jesus' invitation. And so not only had these four men met Jesus, but they had witnessed Jesus' teachings. They had witnessed Jesus' miraculous powers. In other words, these four men, they left everything true. Livelihood. They left family. But they didn't do so on a whim. They didn't do so. It wasn't a brash decision, but an informed decision. Jesus was no stranger. They knew exactly who it was who was calling them. And so that leads us to our first consideration. If we are to understand what it means to follow Jesus, we have to know who Jesus is because we too have the opportunity to make an informed decision. So number one, the king. Just as Peter, Andrew, James, and John made an informed decision before they left everything to follow Jesus, we have everything that we need in God's Word to make the same informed decision. In fact, not only in, do we have the entirety of God's Word before us, but even in our short time in the book of Matthew, we have been given enough to make an informed decision this morning. Consider with me walking through just the last few chapters in Matthew. In Matthew 1, we studied the historical record of Jesus. We learn that Jesus is the Son of David. He is the Son of Abraham. He speaks to the truth that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah King who had come to rescue and save His people from their sins and death. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Christ. He is both fully man and fully God. Born of the Spirit from, through a, a, a woman. Jesus Christ is Emmanuel. God with us. And then in Matthew chapter 2, we learned that Jesus is the sovereign King. He is sovereign over the wise and He is shepherd to the weak. Wise men came looking for a king and they found Him in a manger. They bowed down and they worshipped Jesus. And the events that followed in Matthew chapter 2 fulfilled Old Testament prophecies and proved that Jesus was inaugurating a new exodus. That He would end the mournful exile of His people by bringing hope to the despised and joy to the destitute. Then in Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist proclaimed that Jesus is the Savior. That He is the righteous Judge. And His message was repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. In other words, the King is here and the King is coming to save all who trust in Him and to judge all who don't. We also witnessed Jesus' baptism where the Spirit of God descended upon Him and the voice of God declared from heavens, this is My Son with whom I am well pleased. And then in chapter 4, the last few weeks, we saw that, that Jesus is in fact our victorious King. That Jesus is the new Adam. That Jesus is the, new, the true Israel. You see, the first Adam gave in to temptation in the garden, but Jesus did what no one else in history has ever done or will ever do. He resisted temptation fully and He never sinned. Never once did He give in to sin. Then last week, Matthew pointed to Jesus and proclaimed good news for all of us who are dwelling among the despised. Good news for those of us who are living in the midst of darkness and enveloped in the shadow land of death. That Jesus is the light of the world and the hope for all people. And then chapter 4 ends this morning. If you were to look at our text in verse 23, 
not only do we see who Jesus is in word, but we see who, what He does in, in deed and in action. In verse 23, Jesus, He goes all over Galilee. He's teaching in the synagogues. He's preaching the good news of the kingdom. He's healing every disease and sickness among the people. And not only that, but as news spread about Him, people are being brought to Him. Those who are afflicted, those who are suffering from various diseases and with intense pains, the demon-possessed, the epileptics and the paralytics, and Jesus healed them. Brothers and sisters, the King of the universe and the righteous Judge of all nations has come. God in the flesh is the one who's extending this invitation. Follow me. And in light of everything that we know about Him, even from our short time in the Gospel of Matthew, we should wonder at this truth that the One who is inviting us to follow Him, that He would invite us to follow Him, is amazing. We should feel the weight of this command. So much so that we renounce everything for His glory. So much so that we depend fully upon Him. That we live with urgent obedience to His mission. Friends, Jesus is worth so much more than casual church attendance. He is worth far more than a nonchalant association. Sometimes I think we have some things mixed up and we believe that Jesus is some puny Savior who's begging for us to accept Him. But friends, Jesus needs not, He does not need our acceptance. He is infinitely worthy of all of the glory of the entire universe. And if you have truly encountered Him, everything in your life would be radically changed. Which leads us to our second consideration. Follow. The invitation to follow. We looked at me, now we look at follow. The King. In verse 18, again, He says, He's walking along the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon and, and Andrew. They were casting their net into the sea because they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Now it's important to understand that following Jesus will not only change your life, but following Jesus will disrupt your life. Consider how the Sea of Galilee, it was the center of community. It was the center of commerce. It was specifically known for fishing. Fishermen would fish throughout the night and then in the morning they would sell their, their catch Andrew, Peter, James, and John, this is all they knew. This is all their family knew. Fishing was their identity. And here comes Jesus with an invitation to something new. An invitation to a disruption. An invitation to change their identity. No longer were they going to be known as fishermen, but now they're going to be known as followers. And friends, this is what it means to follow Jesus. Following Him becomes the core of our identity. Following Jesus becomes the most important thing about who you are. In fact, let's unpack this a little bit and break this down in in four considerations that identify followers of Jesus. The first one being that a follower with Jesus lives with Jesus. This is simple. But imagine, like, how do you follow Him if you're not with Him? A follower of Jesus lives with Jesus. It sounds super obvious, but friends, we can't follow Jesus without being with Him. I'm reminded of a similar invitation, the invitation that we began our service with this morning. In in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, come to me, which in the Greek is the exact translated from the exact word that Matthew chapter 4, follow me. This invitation, come to me. 
is exactly the same. And he says, follow me. Come to me. Follow me. All of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In other words, Jesus' invitation to follow Him is an invitation to, to walk with Him, to work with Him, to watch how He, watch how he leads others to Himself. There's this rhythm to this invitation. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do this. For those who accept this invitation, for those who believe in Him, for those who seek forgiveness from their sins, not only will they find rest for their eternal, soul, eternal rest for their souls, but the work that He invites us into, this work of, of soul winning, He says, is easy. For it is Him that works in us. It is Him that works through us to accomplish His kingdom plans and His kingdom purposes. Friends, you're being invited to, to live with Jesus, to follow Jesus, to lead others to Jesus. And it all begins by living in fellowship with Him. As a result of living with Him, there will be something different about you. There will be a manner as one who has been with Jesus. As one who has been made in heart and mind a wise and brave and compassionate soul winner. And so we follow Him. Following Jesus also requires a complete surrender to Jesus. Complete surrender. A surrender that begins with repentance. Remember last Sunday, this was Jesus' message. His first sermon where He says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come. Repentance requires admitting that you're a sinner. Expressing sorrow over your sin. Repentance requires an intentional turning away from your sin and a turning to the Lord. Repentance is the most profound and beautiful invitation that Christ has extended to us and it's most profoundly displayed in baptism. A couple weeks ago, we witnessed this. As a person is dunked below the surface of the water, it symbolizes the renouncing of self-dependence. It's a picture of dying to sin, dying to self, and as they emerge out of the water, it symbolizes the newness of life that they have in Christ Jesus. See, repentance is at the basic level. It is the core of what it means to follow Jesus. As disciples, we are to admit our sin, and we are to run from our sin. Friends, this is extremely countercultural. Consider the fact that we live in a, in a culture and a time that revolves around self, around us. The promoted sermon is protect yourself, promote yourself, you do you, preserve yourself. If you're a Park and Rec fan, treat yourself. Jesus speaks into our selfish culture and He says, Follow me, and to do so, you must die to yourself. Consider what Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 16. He says, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You see, a follower of Jesus completely surrenders, renounces self, 
Consider how these first disciples left behind their their livelihood, their financial security, their family and their comfort. They left everything behind that was familiar to them and natural to them. Why? Why would someone do that? What would lead these men to trade comfort for uncertainty? Well, they knew who it was that invited them to do so. They knew who it was that invited them to leave everything behind. They may have not known where in the world they were going, but they knew the One who they were going with. And for them, that mattered more than any worldly comfort, any security that they could find within a job or within a family. They knew that the One that they were going with far was far and above greater Brothers and sisters, we too are called to such a profound trust in the person of Jesus that we would respond with the same radical abandonment. Friends, following Jesus requires a complete surrender. We are to lay down everything to live for one thing, the King and His Kingdom. No longer are we to grip so tightly to the concerns and the comforts that we once found so important to us. Instead, we grip tightly to and cling closely to the person of Jesus and we are committed to the mission that He has called us to, to make disciples. In order to follow Jesus, these disciples left their pursuits. They left their family, their friends. They quit their entire world so that there was one focus, that they might be with Christ and that they might be on the mission He had called them to, to fish for people. Now, you may not be called to leave your job or to leave your family. If you did, you might be leaving the very place that God has placed you to fish for people. But you are called to pursue a life that looks differently than how it once looked before you met Jesus. You see, as we follow Jesus, we are to reject sin. We are to loathe, loathe the very thought of the evil joys that our culture propagates and enjoys, and we are to pursue a life of holiness. We are to pursue a life that that looks like Jesus, that loves like Jesus, that leads others to Jesus. Following Jesus requires an intentional pursuit of Christ-likeness. We are to live with an unwavering devotion to Jesus, which is our third consideration. To live with an unwavering devotion to Jesus. We are to pursue a a life that faithfully loves Jesus, that is intentionally living like Jesus, and is leading others to Jesus. The history of the church reveals that there has always been a crowd of people around Jesus. There's always been a crowd of people that are happy to hear about Him. They're even willing to live moral lives. They even agree with Jesus, but they never truly follow Jesus. Why? this invitation has a cost. It costs too much. Following Jesus is a narrow road of a continual obedience. See, brothers and sisters, I said this a moment ago, that following Jesus requires much more than casual church attendance on Sunday. Following Jesus requires much more than simply belief in Him. Friends, if the demons believe Jesus is who He says He is, what difference does it make? As followers of Jesus, we don't simply listen to Christ's words on Sunday and then live our lives in the same way we once did on Monday. 
If we are going to accept the King's invitation to follow Him, we must be willing to do whatever He says, whenever He says it, no matter what the cost. Think about this. How successful would you be fishing for people if you continued to pursue the same wicked desires that those people that you are fishing for enjoy? Fish will never become fishermen. I have never gone fishing before and showed up on the side of the, the lake to see a trout holding a fishing rod. <laughs> that sounds ridiculous, but that's what, we're, that's what we're doing. So many who claim to be following Jesus are still willfully pursuing a life that looks no different from that of an unbeliever. You are a fish on the bank <laughs> with a fishing rod. It's silly. Listen to me. The sinner will never convert the sinner. The ungodly will never convert the ungodly. And the worldly Christian will never convert the world. Friend, if you are living in the darkness, then you belong to the kingdom of darkness and you are marching with the enemies of the wicked and you will never be able to defeat them. Perhaps this is the reason why the church at this present moment has so little influence over the culture because the culture has so much influence over the church. Charles Spurgeon says it like this. He says, Holiness is the most real power that can be possessed by men or women. We may preach orthodoxy, but we must also live orthodoxy. God forbid that we should preach anything else, but it will be all in vain unless there is a life at the back of the testimony. Our power lies in this word. Follow me. Be Jesus-like. In all things, endeavor to think and speak and act as Jesus did, and He will make you fishers of men. This will require self-denial. We must daily take up the cross. This may require willingness to give up our reputation, readiness to be thought fools, idiots, and the like, as men are apt to call those who are keeping close to their Master. Friends, we are called. We are called to faithful obedience, to unwavering devotion, and we are also called to urgent obedience to Christ's mission, our fourth consideration. Urgent obedience to Christ's mission. The reason why Jesus has invited us to follow Him at all is for a reason, for a purpose. He calls us to live with an urgent obedience to His mission. Every follower of Jesus is called to be a fisher of people. It is not simply those who we outsource and... <laughs> And like the story that we began with, remember the disciples went from searching for fish at a lake to spreading the gospel all over the world. And the mission has not changed. The mission remains the same. Consider the charge given to us as Jesus, the last thing before He ascends into heaven, He gives this charge in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. He says, All authority has been given to Me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. Remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Brothers and sisters, we can't talk about following and knowing Jesus and, and being separate from the world unless we make Him the Master and the Lord of our entire life. Unless we are living in obedience to His commands. Every disciple of Jesus is called commanded and commissioned to live on mission as a disciple maker. There is no such thing as a disciple who is not a disciple maker. Are you bought into the mission of Christ? Are you a disciple making disciple? 
Who are you investing in? Who are you walking alongside? If we're honest, I think most of us need a constant reminder of this commission that we've been given. We need a reminder of the command that Christ has given us that if we are followers of Jesus, that we will be intentionally fishing for people. This, has a, this is a great privilege and a wonderful responsibility of every Christian. Brothers and sisters, the mission to make disciples is, is what should define us. If we were to go and sit at a coffee shop together and I were to ask, tell me about yourself. Most people would say, well, this is what I do, or this is where I live, or this is this, is this whatever about me. This is how many dogs I have. This is how many kids I have. Where we should be saying, I'm a follower of Christ. This is what defines me. I'm a follower of Jesus. This is what should define us. The very purpose behind everything we do. We should be purposeful and intentional about the places we go. The same coffee shop because it's the barista that's there every Sunday. So I can learn her name or his name and be able to share the Gospel. There's intention behind what we're doing and purpose behind what we're doing. To go to the places that we go with the intention of sharing the Gospel. Of leading people to Christ. I'm burdened to teach you and equip you for the mission we have been called to. You see, if we aren't making disciples, we've missed the point. I'm in burden to see every disciple become a disciple-making disciple. And it starts with evangelism. It begins with sharing your faith. It begins with sharing the Gospel with others. And maybe you're thinking, but John, I just don't know where to start. And that's a valid concern. I've had people share with me, but John, there's no, I don't know any non-Christians. And that's a concern for me. This is why the fall class for Mission Academy is launching in just a couple of weeks and we chose to begin the, the fall semester with evangelism. We have an opportunity to sign up for Mission Academy and take an evangelism class that will equip you with the tools that you need to, to do this. It's also why we launched the initiative this morning, Who's Your One? We did this last year and we saw several people come to the Lord as a result to be a part of small groups and discipleship opportunities. Tell me, when you think of someone far from God, who's the first person that you think of? Who's the first person that comes to mind? Maybe it's a neighbor, a coworker, like Brian shared. Maybe it's a parent. For me, it's my kids. If you're a parent, you have your one. If they have not expressed faith in the Lord, there's your one right there. Who's your one? Who's the first person you think of? In the resource table, as we shared earlier, there's resources and tools and prayer guides and, and reading plans. I want to challenge every one of you to grab one of those bookmarks this morning. Write the name of your one on that perforated edge. Drop it in the, in the offering box and I'll commit to coming alongside of you every week and praying specifically for those conversations and, and for that opportunity for you to share the Gospel. I'll, I'll commit to coming alongside you. In fact, as a staff, every Monday we will, we will pray together for these conversations. It begins with sharing the Gospel, but it doesn't end there. That's the first step. See, we're also called to, to baptize and we're called to teach and observe everything God has commanded. How do we do that? Well, invite them to attend baptism class. Invite them to join you at Sunday service. Invite them to join you at small group. Invite them to meet with you on a Saturday morning for the next seven weeks and just work through a Bible, the book of the Bible together. In fact, if, if you do this, let me know. I have resources that I can equip you with. 
that can give you resources to work through to become a disciple-making disciple. We want to equip you as a church. The fact of the matter is, following Jesus requires urgent obedience to His mission to make disciples. If you are a disciple and you're not making disciples, then this morning is an opportunity to recalibrate. This is an invitation to repent and to follow Jesus as a disciple-making disciple. Now you might be thinking, John, I can't do that. And I want to tell you, that's true. You can't. And neither can I. That's the whole point. This is the whole point. We can't do this. That's why we need Jesus to make us what we cannot be in and of ourselves. That's why we need Him. This is the core of discipleship. We follow Him and He makes us fishers of men. Don't miss what the text says. And this leads us to our final consideration. We'll end here. The promise. The promise. Look back at verse 9. He says, follow me. And then what does He say next? I will make you fishers of men. Underline, circle, write down these four words. I will make you. That's four, right? I will make you. Write those four words down. I will make you. Follow me and I will make you fish for people. In other words, God takes the initiative. God chooses you. God equips you. The disciples didn't come to Him. Jesus found them on the Sea of Galilee fishing. Consider John 15-16 when He says, You did not choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit. And your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He will give you. Think about this. Jesus didn't choose a bunch of fishermen because of how awesome they were. Or because they had some unique skill that they were bringing to the table. For starters, as we learned last week, they were uneducated Galileans, they were at the bottom rung of the social, religious, and political ladder. There was nothing that qualified them for this job. There were so many more people better qualified to be a disciple of Jesus than these men. Rather, these, these disciples were narrow-minded. They were superstitious. They were full of Jewish prejudices, misconceptions, and animosity even within the group. Yet these are the ones Jesus chose. And just like them, Friend, you and I have nothing in and of ourselves to draw Jesus to us. There is nothing special about us that would lead Jesus to invite us to follow Him. To to lead Jesus to equip us to be a part of the mission. We are sinners. We are rebels to the core, running from God. But the beautiful reality of the Gospel is that Jesus comes running to us. He calls our name. He chooses us. Ephesians 1, 4-6 says, For He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Why? To be holy and blameless in love before Him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for Himself according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace that He lavished on us in the Beloved One. Friend, God sent His one and only Son to bear upon Himself the wrath that you and I deserve on a cross so that by His grace that we would be drawn to Him. He chooses us. And not only does He choose us, but He empowers us. It is Him that equips us to be fishers of people. Christ is the One who makes it possible for you to follow Him. Everything that we've talked about, we've talked about this morning Living with Jesus. Abiding with Jesus. Devoting yourself to Jesus. Surrendering completely to Jesus. Urgently obeying Jesus. None of those things are possible apart from the Holy Spirit working those things in you. In other words, you can't follow Jesus unless He makes you follow Him. 
And you cannot be a disciple-making disciple unless He makes you a fisher of people. See, we are completely reliant upon the Spirit's work in us and through us. And this promise is that God who saves us, it is God who makes us follow Him, it is God who makes us fishers of men, this promise should bring us so much joy, so much confidence, so much freedom that we are to leave here without a weight on our shoulders and responsibility, but joy and confidence in the Lord who is with us and is equipping us to do what He's called us to. Jesus promises that if we faithfully live on mission, He will forever be present with us. In other words, you're never closer to Jesus than when you're living on mission with Jesus. He will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never walk out on you. He is with you to the end of the age. Brothers and sisters, we have no idea of what God could do through this body of believers gathered here this morning. If we leave here this morning as committed followers of Jesus who are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, there is enough of us here to evangelize not only our communities, our schools, and our workplaces, but there is enough here to be the means of salvation to this entire city. There is. Mission Church, do not feel overwhelmed. Yes, it's true. On our own, we are not qualified for the task that God has called us to. It's true. We can't do it on our own. But it's also true that it is the Lord who fills us with His presence. It is the Lord who empowers us. It is the Lord who equips us for mission. You see, it is God who is making us disciple-making disciples. Friends, we are by the shore of a great sea of human life swarming with the souls of men and women We live in the midst of millions of people, but if we faithfully follow Jesus, He will use us to reach the lost for His glory and our good. And I pray that this morning we will leave here faithfully following Jesus on mission, and that the mission will draw you closer to your Savior as a result, and that you will find rest and you will find joy for our weary souls. Let's pray. God, thank You that we have the opportunity to work alongside You. I thank You that the work that You've called us to is is a work that You are accomplishing. Lord, You're you're in us. You're working through us. You promised to never leave us. You called us to simply be faithful. And so God, I thank You for this recalibration this morning. I pray that we would leave here equipped for the mission at hand. That Mission Church would be a church on mission. That we would be disciple-making disciples. Lord, I thank You for saving us. Lord, we've done nothing to deserve that at all. But Jesus, You are, you are good and You're merciful and You're gracious and we, we trust in You and we rest in You this morning. And we thank You for, we thank you for the power that You've given us, which is You in us and through us. And we trust in You as we leave here this morning. We give You all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.